On this episode of The Wharton Current, host Ellie McDonald sits down with Luke Myro, the COO of VaultPost. Join us as we talk about trends in the electric vehicle space, VaultPost's business model, and what policy initiatives are set to catalyze EV infrastructure build-out. Hi, everyone. This is Ellie McDonald, host of The Wharton Current. I'm excited to be here today with special guest Luke Myro, the co-founder and COO of VaultPost, a startup in the climate tech space. Luke, thank you so much for joining us on our podcast. Do you want to tell us a little bit about your background and how you ended up in your current role? Absolutely. Uh, first off, thanks, Ellie. It's a pleasure to be on the show. So again, my name is Luke Myro. My background, I went to uh, Boston College for undergrad, studied finance and data analytics in the business school there. I graduated, went to Barclays Bank in New York, as I understand you did as well. There I did a number of roles, ended up in a role at the International Corporate Bank covering energy and tech clients. I'm happy to have found the intersection of the two in the clean tech industry. I also was a tech stars mentor in an accelerator that Barclays sponsored, as well as had a role in the Environment Network of Americas at Barclays, which was more of an activist role in the environment space. That all showed me really a a passion for sustainability. And so that brought me to a a master's, uh, a part-time program at Columbia's Earth Institute called the Master's in Sustainability Management. There, I I was the president of the Environmental Entrepreneurs, which was an organization that tried to take climate tech innovation out of the university, incubate it and bring it to life, what ended up happening with VolkPost. And so that's what uh, really got me into the climate space and the entrepreneurship space. I founded this company, co-founded with uh, a person named uh, Jeff Prosserman, who I met at the Columbia program, and we co-led the Environmental Entrepreneurs Organization together, as well as a a third co-founder who Jeff worked with, Samsung. So that's really the, the background and how I got into the company and happy to take it from there. Awesome. Thank you so much, Luke. And I know a lot of our listeners are kind of going through that entrepreneurial path. So I'm sure they'll be interested to hear about your uh, transition. So I I first found out about VaultPost through your work with Venture for Climate Tech, a climate tech startup incubator in New York. I think your business concept fills a major market need within densely populated cities. Can you tell our listeners a bit about your company, maybe walk us through your company's thesis and where you fit into the marketplace? Absolutely. So the problem statement that we looked at is uh, there's clearly electric vehicles hitting the road. And for that, there needs to be widespread electric vehicle charging stations. Many will be able to charge their vehicles at home in their garages. But there's a unique problem statement in the urban environment where half of city drivers don't have access to dedicated garages. And so really the infrastructure that's needed in cities is curbside charging. And so to do that, a lot of markets are taking different approach. We looked at the number of approaches and came up with a lamppost charging station. What we do is we retrofit the existing lamppost infrastructure to turn it into smart electric vehicle charging state. This decreases the cost, the timing, and the footprint of charging installation and provides communities with really a community-friendly approach. The thesis is this is really the 
the scalable way to do curbside charging and meet the needs of the underserved market of city drivers who want electric vehicle. And so our core market is the public curbside market. That's quite frankly, in early stages here in the United States, it's much more developed in Europe, but we want to be ahead of that. And especially with the momentum to build infrastructure here, want to find the right solution. And so that's really what we're working on. That's great. And as someone who spent time in New York City, I definitely see the need for that. When I was driving around, finding parking, let alone a driveway was challenging. So can you explain to our listeners some of the distinguishing key attributes of your charging stations and how you kind of plan to incorporate them with the urban area's existing infrastructure? You kind of talked about this a little bit when you discussed the lamppost, but would love to hear a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. So our first core is really how we integrate with the existing infrastructure. And, and so to explain that in more detail, we actually retrofit the base of the lamppost and encapsulate the existing infrastructure. Um, what we do is there's basically service boxes that exist in the base of lampposts that lead to the wiring. And so by encasing the base, we can tap into the existing service box that exists and actually not be invasive to the infrastructure at all to access its power. This is a unique approach. Lamppost charging does exist. It's actually gained uh, a lot of traction in the, there's a company uh, called Ubitricity that's been successful in uh, doing a lamppost charging pilot in London and now has plans to scale off, scale up across the country. Their model is clearly working in the curbside space. And what they do is they attach to uh, the side of the lamppost and will actually drill into the infrastructure where what we plan to do is more of a retrofit that doesn't have the invasive component. And so that's the core innovation that we've begun with. Some other things that we're excited about, we plan to integrate a charging cable inside of the module, and that allows us to protect the, the cable against weathering any sort of vandalism. In the industry, there's a big issue where people come up and uh, damage the infrastructure or it, it could just degrade over time and that leads to downtime, which is frustrating for the end consumer. So we hope to solve that problem through uh, this integration. And we're also building this in a modular form. So actually having some of the infrastructure that we build be able to be replaced with new modules, which we think will be really helpful in streamlining some of the O&M as well as adding different components over time to our module uh, structure. Got it. That makes sense. And out of curiosity, this might not you know, be established yet, but I assume that there would have to be some sort of revenue sharing with the city. And I'm not sure what they did in the case of Europe, but... If you could talk a little bit about that, that would be great. Sure. There is some public data available, but it is limited exactly what the contracts look like today. Just to play out the example that is public and close to home here in New York, we're really excited to see curbside charging begin in New York City. They rolled out a 60 station pilot here and the revenue sharing component was done between the utility providing the electricity and the company that did the charging station installation. So in that sense, the revenue sharing model has begun. We actually are looking to build this as an infrastructure as a service business where we essentially bundle the services that we provide, the 
electricity service, the software platform and the data into actually just a licensing fee that we would charge to the municipality. We're in early days, so still exploring whatever works best for our different counterparties, but that's how we're thinking of it right now. And so exactly where the revenue would split across the electricity, we're still uh, figuring that out and understanding what the needs of each of our constituents are. Great. I think that makes a lot of sense. And it's obviously such a nascent industry that everyone's still kind of figuring out along with you. I know that Voltpost has an app for users and a charge management platform for the network. Can you expand on those features and how your team is utilizing AI and data within your business model? Absolutely. So as part of the, the business model I mentioned, including that data component that we plan to get through offering our charging, we see this as a really valuable uh, piece for both the cities and the utilities. So we will collect different charging behavior data and be able uh, to provide different insights based on that. Also, there's a lot of opportunity in the charging space in general to incorporate things like AI into the software component. One of the exciting things that we see developing is demand management software, where we can build in behind the meter software that can take the user's charging experience and optimize it to provide the lowest cost electricity to the user based on that integration available. So while we expect to have that at some point, that might not be a part of our initial builds, but I think it's a really exciting opportunity to bring the lowest cost electricity to the end consumer, especially as we are going to be a public service. Great. And we're seeing a lot of capital interested in the climate space these days to kind of change tracks to the financial side of this. As an early stage climate tech startup, what are your priorities when you go to the market for capital? And what capital stack are you aiming for when you develop your infrastructure projects? Sure. Different priorities, I would say, for us looking for capital. It's been an amazing journey so far just to see how many smart climate conscious investors there are. Um, there's so many, it seems like by the week, a new climate fund set up with a great team behind it. So one of our I think, priorities is to find people who understand the space that we're in, especially ones that could understand the technology and some of the challenges of bringing hardware and infrastructure to market. I would say beyond that, we also look for mission aligned investors. Um, Many investors really understand the uh, core mission of this company, and, and we found some great investors who have supported us thus far. And so I would say between the technical kind of climate aspect, as well as the mission of this business, just finding the right mission alignment is important for us. On the concept of the capital, the hardware climate tech space is a unique opportunity for a diversified capital stack. Of course, we would look to equity raise over time, finding some smart, you know, helpful venture capital. We have been able to close a pre-seed round of financing with a couple venture capital firms already who have been a tremendous support to our business. But past that, I think one of the exciting opportunities for us is to align both incentives and debt financing to this business. And just to go into those in, in line, on the incentive side, there are multiple incentives both at the utility level, at the state level, and of course now with the infrastructure bill coming down from the federal level as well, that can work with hardware products like 
us. And so these incentives essentially undercut some of the upfront costs of installation to these projects and make them, I think, much more financially beneficial to us and really all parties involved. So what we would like to do is become essentially an in-between for the municipalities who really need the infrastructure and then all these available incentives that are popping up so that we can create these financially profitable, but also, you know, really scalable projects to bring the needed infrastructure to cities. And then on the debt side, because we intend to do this as, again, a hardware as a service business where we have contracted revenue streams, this bodes really well for an emerging market in climate tech, which is more akin to project finance, where if we can structure a project that uh, we know has contracted three to five year revenues and upfront capital cost, and of course the, the benefit of the mission of being a climate related project that can bring all these additional benefits with a lot of pools of capital that exist for debt financing, especially for climate projects, we could use uh, debt aligned and really ring fence projects to finance some of these uh, projects up front and make a risk adjusted benefit for what we're doing. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And obviously we've seen so many emerging climate technologies become viable and cost-effective initially by getting grant money and incentive money. So I think everything you're talking about really speaks to how this space is growing. Kind of jumping off of that, the climate tech space has been impacted by a multitude of geopolitical, technological, and financial trends. What do you think are the biggest headwinds and tailwinds that your company specifically is facing as you grow? Sure. There's... Definitely a lot uh, going on in the world. I would say at the highest level, one of the the best headwinds is just how many climate conscious people there have been who come out of the woodwork to support us without asking for anything in return. We've just come into these communities that have really been so helpful to an early company like ours. Specific to that also, one of the exciting points is how many climate goals are being made by municipalities. Not only is there just the demand for this infrastructure, but also these really lofty goals um, to work on decarbonization. And so this allows us, I think, in a tricky market of uh, selling to the public to hopefully be able to bring this to some of those uh, cities. On top of that, uh, we're thrilled about the infrastructure bill being passed. I think we can probably get into this in more detail, but seeing the the large um, pool of uh, capital that will go down to the state level to fund the EV infrastructure across the country is a huge opportunity. And I think it takes a lot of thought to look at really what the best use of that capital is, both on a scalability sense and an equitable format of which we intend to be with this company. Past that, I would say different tailwinds that might exist in the market. Unfortunately, just looking at the, the larger market turbulence, we as we go to raise finance, understand that we've come into this in a time fundraising is really hot. You know, there's a lot of opportunity for not only early stage companies to raise finance, but also climate companies. And so with some of this new market turbulence, I think it creates difficulty for at least the uncertainty for fundraising in the future. That makes a lot of sense. And you gave me a great transition point there, Luke. Um, 
For our listeners who aren't aware, Biden signed the infrastructure bill last year, and the bill allocated $5 billion of investment funds in state-administered grants for deploying electric vehicle charging stations nationwide. Do you expect this bill to help catalyze the EV market within the U.S.? And in your opinion, how should the funds be distributed to be most effective and equitable? Yeah, absolutely. I think it will help. I think we're definitely doing something wrong if that doesn't catalyze the, the EV industry. Just looking at the, the sheer size of it, as I mentioned before, I think the uh, challenge is finding what the, the right use of that capital is. And there's different solutions that fit different use cases. You know, we are one use case in the and I think as a component of a puzzle piece to solve this problem of a lack of infrastructure, uh, we can serve an exciting purpose, really looking at what we're doing, aligning with the infrastructure bill. Um, what excites me is that there's significant language in the infrastructure bill about providing equitable solutions that really help not, you know, only a certain portion of the population, but certainly some who need it the most. Cities face a slew of concerns that are really unique to the urban environment, whether that be different local emissions and, and pollution causing air quality issues, uh, lack of access to transit, which is difficult in heavily populated environments, which has knock-on effects of lack of access to education and employment opportunities, and then also understanding economic disadvantage in cities that is widespread. And I think having public distributed charging networks can really benefit all of these areas by being able to have a charger in each community that doesn't, in our case, take up curb space. We believe we can get people access to get personal transport if they don't have access to different public means. Um, one point to make in this whole equation is right now there's a sentiment that, you know, electric vehicles are prohibitively expensive and that is largely true in many cases, but that upfront cost point is being brought. And especially over time, as the operations and maintenance for these vehicles is lower, uh, the fuel cost equivalent is lower. We see these vehicles as becoming economically advantageous. And so providing access to EVs over time, we hope to bring the benefits of the economy to, to the cities. And so there's a whole, I think, range of benefits that not only do we bring that, of course, come through with just having the technology, but also looking at providing an equ equitable solution for every community. We think that doing distributed lamppost charging really fits that bill for a terrible pun. Yeah. And I think you almost started to answer my next question. But one point I'd like to make is, you know, many experts believe that the lack of public EV charging infrastructure is one of the biggest hurdles for EV adoption in the U.S. And it sounds like you agree with that. And it also sounds like you think the upfront cost of vehicles is another hurdle that's slowing down market growth, but it's getting better. Are there any other hurdles slowing down the EV market? And if you identify a few, how do you think they can be overcome? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I would say even from just a personal understanding or, or from my sense, like not seeing uh, charging infrastructure anywhere near me or not knowing where it is stops me from getting 
an EV today, or at least in my mind, that that makes sense. And so I think there's an opportunity not just to make every block hopefully have a charging station that you see, but even on top of that, making uh, a technology that is really interesting and exciting to use, I think is an example on a little bit of a personal tangent to what we're doing as something that excites me about uh, this technology. I think a lot of people got their first EVs in as a Tesla here in the US because Tesla made a beautiful car. And I think that there is really an opportunity to build also infrastructure that's really user-friendly uh, and beautiful as well that can actually excite people to use it and get their own one component that I would add as you know a corollary, especially in the city environment is there are grocery stores in the city where people go to get their food, but there's also bodegas all over cities because they're convenient. And I, I'd like to think that we could be the bodega to the grocery store that currently is, exists. And again, I'm throwing a cheesy uh, example here, but I think that that could really ex EV market growth. That last component of additional barriers to, to overcome, I would also tie to that last conversation in looking at getting your first EV and thinking that the current market looks at it as prohibitively expensive. I do think there's an opportunity for education about the falling cost of EVs and especially the new incentives that are coming out to bring that cost point down in the upfront cost because it will happen over the next couple of years. And I think that education is key to get people to capture all the benefits of electrification as they come. Yeah, I think that makes sense. And as someone who personally had a favorite bodega, I completely understand you now. I think just one one more question before we wrap it up. And this is, you know, a just for fun question. If you weren't getting a Tesla, what EV vehicle do you think you would buy? <laughs> um Admittedly, I have always said that I would get a Tesla. I will make a plug for we got the chance to see the new Ford Mach-E Mustang, which is like the, the SUV Mustang in person in New York and just blown away by some of these beautiful new makes. So I haven't figured that out yet. I'm still in the market and could be sold. There's some there's some good looking things out there. I saw sure. a Volkswagen old school van go electric and I was like, maybe it's time for me to buy a car. Someone who's lived in a city my whole life. Luke, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Do you have anything you want to plug with our listeners, your website, socials, a newsletter, hiring? No, I I would say go to our website. It is voltpost.com. There you could sign up for our newsletter uh, where we'll keep you updated with quarterly updates as the company is progressing. We're always looking to meet new people. As I said earlier, it's just been really an incredible journey of meeting so many smart and motivated people trying to help with this larger climate crisis. So I would say if you want to be involved in the entrepreneurship space or uh, even just want to talk, I'm, I'm always happy to, to speak. So really appreciate you taking the time today, Ellie. It's been a blast. Yeah. Thank you so much, Luke. We we had a great time and it's always fun to talk with people who are doing startups and are really making a big impact on a space that's seen for the first time. Well, we'll ignore clean tech 1.0 bubble, seeing a lot of feasibility and capital in it. So thank you, Luke, for being on and 
Hope you have a great rest of the week. To our listeners, please tune in uh, to all of our other podcasts, which you can find on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, uh, SoundCloud, and wherever else you normally listen. Thanks, everyone, for joining us on this episode of The Wharton Current. A special thanks to our guest, Luke Myro from Vault Post. If you're interested in learning more about Vault Post, please visit their website at www.voltpost.com. Thanks for listening.